I have a distinct feeling that if a camel was in this church today, it'd be very warm. Because this camel hair coat has got me very warm. <laughs> Think about your life. Would you, how would you describe your life? Would you describe it as a bad life? Would you describe it as an okay life? Would you describe it as a great life? And then after making that assessment, and maybe that's kind of hard to make on a snap judgment, ask yourself this, wherever you say you are, if life is bad, if life's okay, if life is great, if someone came to you and said, how'd you like your life to be better? And once you got over that suspicion, if you actually trusted that person, would you say, nah, I don't really want my life to be any better? Or would you say, great, tell me how life can be better? Because I feel like all of us at some point or time have said to ourselves, life could be better. I wish life was better. Or is there a way for life to be better? As the Apostle Paul finished up, Uh, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, where he was talking to the Corinthians, the Christians at Corinth, about their life with Christ and about being a part of God's body and about having spiritual gifts that that could take them and they could use to to build God's glory, to draw together his kingdom. And he's talking all this big, deep, awesome theology about the spiritual gifts. And he says, seek out those spiritual gifts. But then he finishes that chapter by saying, but I'm going to show you a better way. Or some translations say a more excellent way. Or some say the best way. So this message is for those who, even if you are feeling good about your life and feeling like it's going great, Paul says, I want you to know a better way of life. And with that, we approach... 1 Corinthians 13. If you're physically able, would you stand in reverence and honor for the reading of God's word? If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, if I give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Ever had anyone recite a record of your wrongs to you? Love doesn't do that, the Bible says. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes... What is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. 
When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Now we see only as a reflection in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Lord God, we come to you today asking you to take this passage of Scripture, this portion of your love letter to us, and to bury it deep within our hearts, God, that it may be, that we may be rooted and grounded in love, that we may understand the way of life that you have for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. What's a better way of life? I think if we didn't know what 1 Corinthians, if we were leaving 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and we were going into 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and, and we hadn't heard all of our lives that, hey, 1 Corinthians 13 is a chapter of love, we might expect him to say, okay, this, this great stuff in chapter 12 is about spiritual gifts, but even in chapter 13, I'm going to tell you some even greater stuff, like how by punishing yourself or by working really hard, you're going to have a better life, and God's going to reward it. Something just more spiritual, so to speak. But Paul kind of lets beside all of this very spiritual-sounding talk about spiritual gifts and the body of Christ, and he says, let's talk about love for just a minute. How does love help us to have a better life? Well, the first thing he tells us is that love gives meaning to life. Love gives meaning to life. We often talk about the difference between living and existing. We, we get that intuitively. Existing means we're still breathing. There's still some electrical impulses going on. But living means more than that. That there is something meaningful about our life. And Paul starts talking about all of the things that as Christians, as good people, um, that we would want to applaud. The things that you ought to do. He's like, man, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels. That is, if I can, if I can tell, speak in every single language known to man plus a few that the angels only know. But if I don't have love, that's no B. That's no, that's no great thing. What if I have all the knowledge and all the mystery? What if I'm a, I'm a super wise guy? Everybody knows how smart I am. If I don't have love, that's nothing. Faith to move a mountain. It's kind of hard for us to say. <laughs> Someone who had enough faith in God to move a mountain? If you don't have love... It's nothing. So every single action that you can take in life, uh, every single ability you can take in life, if you don't have love with it, it's nothing. And that's a hard thing for sometimes for us to comprehend. 
that I can do all the things that I'm supposed to do. I can check off all the list of checklists for good, moral, right, nice, whatever, good citizens. And I can do all that stuff, and if I do it without love, there's no real value to it. There's no real meaning to it. Two people can do the same thing, same exact action, one with love and one without and sometimes it's the same person doing that action one day with love and doing it without love. And that can be anything from a purchase you make to a disciplinary situation with your child uh, to a discussion you have at work. There's all sorts of things that this can take. But if I don't have love in my life, if I do the most impressive things, in other words, I can be Mother Teresa. That's, that's about what Paul's saying here. I mean, I've got the faith. i got all the sacrifice. Everybody knows that I do more than anybody else, and I do the greatest things. You could be Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, every kind of good, kind, whatever person ever. But if I do it without love, I have nothing. So if we're going to have an even better life, more than just a life of doing all the spiritual stuff, we've got to understand all the spiritual, quote, spiritual or, quote, religious stuff we do, if it is by itself, if it is without love, it's empty. It's meaningless. And so love gives us life, gives us meaning in life. The second thing about love is that love has a look. Love has a look. And here's what I mean by that. Love is not anything and everything. There's a quote in our world today that love is love. But God's word would challenge that. God's word would say that love is defined. There is a picture of love that is given in God's word. And so that we cannot just say, I love, and because I say I love, therefore I must love. And we define love however we want to define it, not according to God's word. God says love actually has a look. It has something that we can define, that we can measure. First of all, love's other-centered. If what you call love is all about you and about your feelings and about your wants and about what you get out of it, that's not love. Love is focused on God, on other human beings, but it's not all about you. We have so many people walking around in this world that claim that they love people, and yet everything they do is motivated by selfishness by what they want to happen, by their plans and their goals. And the well-being of those they claim to love is kind of a secondary concern. But in these verses, we, we hear about love, that it's patient, that it's kind, that it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, and on and on and on. All of these things are saying it doesn't focus on itself. Love is not all about the one loving. It's about the one being loved. It's about their concern and their betterment. Beyond that, this look that love has, we, know, we need to know that love also has a code. Part of the look of love is that 
Love actually has a code that's defined. Uh, Love actually has a moral compass to it. Love actually has some ethical values that are attached to it. You see, lots of people in the name of love do lots of sinful or unethical things. But they'll justify these things. Well, you know, we were just in love. Or I just, I know that was wrong, but because of love, I did that. And they will use love as like an opposite and a greater force that trumps the truth and what God really wants people to do. But look at what, look at what it says here in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Lots of people want to say that love doesn't have any content That it's just a feeling. It's just whatever I say it is. And I say I love someone. And then I go and I behave and I do whatever I want to do. But love, according to God's word, rejoices in the truth. That is, love walks in obedience for God's command. Love thinks of others and how to bless them. And it also thinks of God and how he says we should properly bless them and love them. It's not up to us to define love. It's up to us to look to God, to his word, and see what he says about love. So love is it's, it's defined. It has a look. It has a content to it. And we can't just make love into whatever we want it to be, but love has to be looking to God and finding what his definition is. The third thing we see about love being a better way of life is that love lasts. Love lasts. Now, some of you will instantly say, well, I knew a situation. I was involved in a situation. Love didn't last, let me tell you. What you're really saying, though, is that someone stopped loving. One or more persons stopped being loving. They stopped having love. They stopped acting in a loving way. But love itself lasts. It has a stick-to-itiveness. It has a, when all the dust is clear, love is there. It's a last man standing kind of thing. Love doesn't fail, the Bible says. Love has a certain persistence or stubbornness to it that we don't give up on people. We don't throw away people just because things get hard, just because we disagree, just because things are not easy anymore. But what is truly love continues. Now, will people truly love someone at one point and truly not love someone at another point? Yes, that happens. But again, it's because they did not continue in love, not because love itself failed. Love itself does not fail. The loving response to any situation in life is always the right response. Now, does that mean, oh, you got to be loving, you know, so don't, 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 you know, be careful. You can't, blah, blah. Well, remember, love rejoices in the truth. So loving does not do away with justice. Loving does not do away with accountability. Loving does not do away with realities in life. But loving, in spite of all those things, love continues to be there. Love is persistent. It's, it's enduring. Love's never obsolete. Did you know that? 
Have, how many of you, now, kids, children, teenagers, this is not applied. I, I guarantee this is not applied to you. And so I'm going to ask the adults. You can listen in and know what's going to happen to you when you become your mother and father, okay? So <laughs> how many of you at some point in time, you have something in your closet, and that thing in your closet no longer fits well, and it no longer is in style. But you tell two lies to yourself. You say, one, I'm going to get in better shape. And number two, you know, that's going to come back in style. I, I know it will. And so that thing stays there in your closet, clogging your closet, collecting moths, and that's it. it it's not doing anything because that's really not going to happen. It's not coming back in style, and the other part, eh, probably not either. You know, but love doesn't get obsolete ever. I mean, not even in, not just in all of human history, past, present, future, but even eternity, love never gets obsolete. Never. You know, it talks about other really great, awesome things. Where there's prophecies, they'll, fe- they'll cease. Where there's tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. Paul says all this other great, awesome, wonderful spiritual stuff, whether it's abilities or knowledge or experience, all this stuff's not going to matter one day. But what will matter forever is love. You know, my dad was one of those kind of guys that, I, I don't know, like a lot of people, in some ways, he was Superman to me. I mean, like, and one of it was like in fixing stuff. Like he could fix anything, you know. And 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 so we would have this uh, these old appliances. I mean, man, at one time we had these appliances, and he'd he'd brag. He'd tell you, "Yeah, we got this when me and your mother got married 35 years ago, and and it's still going." And I wanted to say, "Yeah, because you underneath it every month, you know, trying to fix it and keep it going." But he was so proud that that old whirlpool kept on going. And he'd start to talk about when, when manufacturing changed and planned obsolescence, when, when people started making cars and appliances that couldn't be fixed, he would fuss about it. You know, these things aren't made to last anymore. Love's made to last. Love doesn't go out of style. It doesn't go obsolete When the dust all settles, love will be there. So what I want to say today is that love not only helps us to have a better way of life, love is the better way of life. Love is the path. Love is the way. Love is the road. Love is the highway. Love is the map, however you want to see it. And you know, it's interesting to me, you know, the first, uh, the first name that Christians had was not Christians. That wasn't, the Bible tells us, until about midway through the book of Acts. And uh, they started seeing some believers at a certain way that they thought, well, they really seemed to act like that Christ guy, and so they started calling them Christians. But up until then, they were called followers of the way. Believers were known as followers of the way. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when God sent his son Jesus, he did so, John 3.16 tells us, out of love. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Love is not just an addition to our life 
It's not just something that, oh, love is the spice to our otherwise boring and bland life. Or it's not a thing that maybe I, I hope I can get around to one day. It's, it's not a nice bonus or addition. Love is central to the way of Christ, to the way of God. His love and Christ's love demonstrated through us. That is the way that we should all be walking on. Now, we've, we've, uh, we've lost a lot of celebrities in the last few weeks. And I know y'all are thinking, oh, that's a rabbit trail. Stay with me. Stay with me. Uh, Betty White, you know, we, we, we lost her. And uh, I, I can't even keep up with all of them we've lost. But I tell you, one, one of the celebrity deaths that really intrigued me was that of Bob Saget. Uh, you know Bob. Full House, Uncle Danny. He was uh, known by most Americans for being on Full House, and, and also he was the first, uh, the first host of America's Funniest Home Videos. And uh, he died suddenly uh, at age 65. I think it was somewhere around January 9th, 10th, somewhere around there. One of the things about old Uncle Danny, uh, Bob Saget, one of the things that really hit me as I was reading the news stories and the, the updates and the responses of people to his death, because, I, you know, he's popular people that you feel like, you know, you read this stuff. But whereas in most of the cases, the celebrity deaths that you hear about, they talk about how, you know, everyone in America thought like they felt like they knew them. Uh, or how successful or how talented they were, or, or the, the mark they made on the industry. Now, you heard some of that stuff with Bob about his famous shows and comedy shows and everything he did. But what was overwhelming the response? In almost every article that listed things that other people, whether his wife, his kids, his co-workers, people in the business and out of the business. One of the amazing things was every single one I read talked about Bob's love, how he was an amazing, loving person, that the people who knew him and were surrounded by him. Just read a few of those. John, this one's from John Stamos. Um, I don't have his picture up here, but we're going to keep, uh, we're going to keep looking at Uncle Danny, but Uncle Jesse, you might remember, he said, I am broken, I am gutted, I am in complete and utter shock. I will never have another friend like him. I love you so much, Bobby. Norman Lear, Bob Saget was as lovely a human as he was funny, and to my mind, he was hilarious. We were close friends, and I could not have loved him more. Candace Cameron, who played his daughter, I don't know what to say. I have no words. Bob was one of the best human beings I've ever known in my life. I loved him so much. Mary-Kate Nashley, Bob was the most loving, compassionate, and generous man. He had a big, big heart. He gave the world a lot of joy and lived his life for goodness sake. I know that people, this was Jason Alexander, I know that people lose loved ones, good people, every day. 
No one gets a pass. But the loss of Bob Saget hits deep. If you didn't know him, he was kind and dear and cared about people deeply. He was the definition of a good egg. And then the last one I'll read is from his daughter, who shared the greatest lesson that he taught her was about loving fully. To anyone afraid to love, unconditional love is the greatest of gifts. My dad loved with everything he had. He had so many reasons to be scared to love. Instead of being scared, he loved more. I am beyond grateful to receive and to give that love. Love completely and be kind. Of all the lessons he taught me, these feel the biggest with love. We may not make Twitter or Facebook. We may not go trending. But one day at the end of life, everyone will think about us just like they're thinking about Bob. And while I think we all hope that our accomplishments in life, the things we succeeded in, we we all hope that we'll be well thought of there. I don't think any of us are really going to care all that much that someone says, he paid his light bill on time every single week. We're not going to care that someone says he put in, even that, well, he put in, she put in more office hours than anyone else. We're going to care that they cared. And I love that a person who was on top of the world and could have looked down on all the little people, all the people that didn't matter, that instead he was kind and gracious and generous and giving. He had a life defined by love. And so my challenge to you today is choose the way of love. We're all on a road. We're all on a path. We all got a direction that we're going on in our lives. Now, you may be very intentionally steering that direction, or you may feel like your life is like a Tesla. You can just take the hands off and and let it go. You may think there's some autopilot there. We all get to choose, though. And I want to encourage you that Paul says, not just a good way, but the most excellent way, the best way, the best direction, the best way you can steer your life is to choose a life of love. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, your word tells us that we love you because you first loved us. You didn't love us because we were great and awesome and holy and, and, and all that we just were so great that it would be good for you to have us on your side. No, God, you, you actually tell us in your word that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were lost and ugly in our sin, when we were broken and unable to help ourselves, God, you loved us. You looked out to us, reached out to us in love, and you do not stop loving us. Father, put today in us hearts of love. 
Help us to choose to be people of love who follow the way of love because that is the way of Christ. If we don't feel love today, Father, if someone in here is really struggling with feeling unloved, Lord, I pray that you would just fill them with the reality of your great love for them. But Lord, for most of us today, we... While we probably need some of that, we also need to know not to bottle up that love, but to take it and to share it as you have done with us, that we pass that love on. God, be with us now as we have this time to ponder and to respond your word and what it means to us and in our lives. May we respond in obedience and faith. May we walk the way of love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand?